Leaders Talk, the interview podcast portraying leaders who are committed to better leadership, better organizations, and a better world. Powered by Leadership Choices. Right, we need to be able to get opportunities to learn and then apply and then reflect on what we are doing and then to be able to refine. Focus on the similarities and the talked about. Don't let it, it's so tempting to think about the differences. Think about what is the combination between the Spanish field sales executive and the German field sales executive. If you talk about a, a, a change in, in your organization, we have to talk about the distribution of leadership, the distribution of decision-making, and we need to become more clear of who takes which decisions. Welcome to Leaders Talk, the podcast for better leadership, better organizations, and a better world. My name is Carsten Graf, and I'm one of the managing partners of Leadership Choices. Today, we have a very special episode to bring to you. Um, it is not one individual leader. This time, it's an entire conference. Um, we hosted the conference Roundtable for the Future of Organizational Learning and Transformation. And we have the key aspects of that conference captured in one episode of our podcast. So let's dive right into this, into the keynote with Anne Rollins. I wish you good insights. Um, and I'm, I'd like to hear your thoughts. So if you if you want to share, please drop me a line at carson.ref at leadership-choices.com. But now let's go right into the keynote of Anne Rollins. So with that and out, without further ado, Anne, I hand it over to you and the stage is yours. Lovely. Okay. It says host disabled participants sharing. Let me see. Okay, here we go. Welcome. And, and I'm so happy to be able to be here to, to be able to kind of talk about the future of organizational learning and learning and development and the things that we're seeing at the Ken Blanchard companies around the world and how much learning has changed so extraordinarily in these last couple of years. So a little about me. So I'm not only a twin mom and a firefighter's wife, um, but I'm also, I'm a learning technologist. And at the Ken Blanchard Companies, I'm a solutions architect, which means I get to work with our clients when they bring really big global learning problems to the table that they don't know how to solve. And so, you know, in my role, we sit down, we work through what are the options? How are you going to reach your learners and really build something that, that focuses on personal growth as well as professional development that helps the organizational system to operate uh, more effectively. Um, I'm also a member of the ATD PAC, which is ATD International's um, Program Advisory Committee. So I help ATD to plan their international conferences from a content perspective and a learning technology perspective. So that's a little bit about me. So, you know, when we think about preparing today's learners for tomorrow's tasks, it shouldn't be just one priority. It should be the priority. But in being the priority, particularly in these last two years, how we approach that has changed so extraordinarily. Um, you know, we're all, we're all thinking very differently about 
our lives, about our families, about the work that we do. And we're seeing that in this churn and this change with people you know, leaving the workforce and having much higher and different expectations. Um, and so really, from our perspective, when we're working with our clients, it's so important for us to be able to truly connect with the people who we are designing for. But kind of before we get to the people that we're designing for and what that looks like, how we really connect with them emotionally and help them create personal relevance and purpose in the work they're doing, I want to share just a little bit of data. So the Ken Blanchard Companies every year does a learning trends survey where we have thousands and thousands of global respondents from the L&D field, the learning and development field. And the three themes, the three, excuse me, the three key themes that really rose to the surface very starkly are that people are overloaded, they're tired, they're too busy to learn. But when we peel into that, too busy to learn, the reality is the way that we've approached learning up until and to the time when COVID happened, really that approach to learning doesn't really work well with our, with our people anymore because they're stretched so thin. The level of connection between learners is dropping. Of course, people have been working from home. People have been really you know, distributed in ways that we've not seen. Um, and so that connection is impacted. And then L&D, our people, my peers, you know, they're stretched and dissatisfied with converted offerings for developing their people. Um, and really, you know, when I think about learning and development practitioners, so many of them up until the time COVID happened, and when I even think about in industry, kind of the airtime that was given to, to being able to design really effective virtual learning experiences, it was a sliver. You know, at, at international conferences, maybe 10% of the total conference time was devoted to that type of learning, which suddenly became the way that people needed to, to learn much more readily and that people needed to design learning. And so kind of moving forward, um, looking at the improvements, this is again from the study. So the improvements needed to virtual and digital designs, we're going to take a look at these five bars over here to the left. And I'll just highlight those. And really, you know, what do we, what do we need to see? More learner engagement, more social interaction. When we talk about purpose-driven work and purpose in the things that we do, we are humans. We want to be connected to others. And so these two factors are so important. We need more learning touch points over time, right? We need to be able to get opportunities to learn and then apply and then reflect on what we are doing and then to be able to refine. And so much of the learning that happens in, in organizational systems is spending all of the learning time pushing content, sharing what we think people need to know when that's not really the way that it should be. At Blanchard, our approach is a 70-30 approach. 30% we're sharing content, 70% they're applying and reflecting and really internalizing what does this mean to me as a human in my role in the work that I'm doing for my organization. Integration in the flow of work, and of course, more accountability to finish. Because when we have learning that happens as kind of an event-driven type of experience, you know, people will go to a course, but there's no accountability for them to change their behavior and do something different. So we're going to share a couple of examples on the things that we're, we're doing at Blanchard um, and how we approach 
organizational learning from, from the learner's perspective. And I think this is going to feed in beautifully to the conversations that you're going to have with Nicole and Jorg in just a little bit, because it's all very deeply, deeply connected. So let's take a peek. You know, our learning, our learning practitioners get what we want it to look like. We know what the ideal state should be, but what can it look like in practice? Um, you know, and, and often our L&D practitioners don't necessarily, they know what it should be. They know the tools that they have, but they're, they need to be able to suss out what happens in between. And we always at Blanchard and in industry as we're sharing um, kind of our best practices and our approaches, first, you need to know who you're solving for. Because when we look at the who and we start really digging in, we're able to create solutions that meet their needs far more readily. You know, our learners, if we think about them, we talked about that lack of connection because we're so distributed. We've got some people working from home offices, some people who are on the go, some people who are in new hybrid um, office spaces, and others who, you know, when we think about people who work in a manufacturing or an industrial space, you know, COVID has been, uh, you know, COVID has been catastrophic for us all. But when we think about, I think about workers in that space where supply chain issues have affected the work, um, worker shortages have affected the work, the long hours to keep people like us in our homes comfortable, safe with the things that we need. Um, and so being able to create learning solutions that meet them where they are. So if someone has 10 or 15 minutes to go in and learn and come back and be able to do as much of that learning on their own, and then when we're bringing them together, we're making the very best use of that collective time. It's truly the mandate in industry today. So let's talk a little bit about what this might look like in practice. And so I'm going to share, this is and Acme is a pretend company name. So, you know, Luis works for Acme. And this is, a, this is an actual journey for a client that I created uh, with, my, with my project team. And so I'll orient you a little bit so that you can see. The large green circles represent formal moments of learning. So a digital course or a live in-class session or um, an opportunity to come together with their peers. The small little bubbles are micro-learning and basically one-on-one -on -one conversations with their leaders. So when we're talking about values-driven um, learning experiences and really creating spaces where there's much more connectivity, a lot more communication, when we create these journeys, it's, it's building out the right blend of modalities. So Luis Acme is a manufacturing company. So it's very hard for people like Luis to be able to leave at the same time. So we've got to make extraordinary use of that time when they're together. And so we've got kind of our, our journey items. And the red is where we're connecting very closely. Every element of learning is connected to the values and the pillars of ACME's organization. And so we are deeply connected to the values. And we're creating that cohesion between values-driven work and, and the content that we're serving up, and what are people like Luis, how can they use these skills not only at work, but we, you know, when I'm talking with our clients and when I'm, when I'm working with our learners, you know, I tell them, 
It's going to make us better partners. It's going to make us better parents. It's going to make us better people, people who are better at our jobs leading others. And so that truly is the way we think from the individual out, connecting deeply to values that are important organizationally, and also to the values that we hold dear as human beings and giving them tools to be able to be more productive and effective in and outside of work. And so kind of as we go through the journey, we can see the micro-learning and the one-on-ones that are woven in. So learning is not an event that happens and it's in the past. We're carrying things through, kind of instead of having these lower moments in the journey, we're kind of supporting that journey along the way. And we'll take a look at what some of this micro-learning looks like. But we've also created these sessions called learning reinforcement sessions. The purpose of these isn't to add more content. It's to bring them back together and talk about how they're applying what they've learned at work, what they're seeing, how the organization could be better, could do better. Um, and so let's let's kind of move along. And certainly, oh, good. Jer- yeah, Jeremy, Acme Supermarkets. And Acme, actually, it's it's funny because I pulled Acme as a very generic name of a pretend company because in this in the US growing up, there was a really funny children's cartoon called The Roadrunner. I'm not familiar if it's a global cartoon, but the uh, the wily coyote who was the bad guy, he always bought his bad guy supplies at Acme. So <laughs> so for our micro learns. So our micro-learns that are being pulsed out kind of midway along the journey, these might be um, extracted, say, an interaction from an e-learning course that's going to be helpful for learners to either see again or to see for the first time and have access to just do a little more thinking on a topic. Or it might be a um, a quick quiz or an assessment, or maybe it's a collection of videos that we're pulsing out. Sometimes they include what we call a try-it activity. So we're building and extending and giving them some more activities to do along the way that reinforce the content that came before. So our micro-learns look like that. And then you also saw those one-on-one conversations with leaders. And, And really, those conversation guides that go along with the content really serve to create connectedness and and build relationships between our learners and their leaders. Because oftentimes at Blanchard, our learners are new supervisors or um, new managers, and they don't have a lot of experience. So when they, when they think about to apply things, you know, really um, for them, they just have limited experience to, to kind of reflect on. And so creating those really good moments between participants and their leaders to have structured conversations allows them to learn from the experience of their leaders. And, you know, truly in those conversations, they're able to really drive, you know, and hear about the purpose of of the work that their leader envisions for them and really make that really close connection there. And again, it allows us to create another opportunity for learners to create their own relevance, because if it is relevant to them as a human, as a person, a parent, a partner, um, the, the learning is going to stick better. It's going to resonate with them. And so wherever we're able to create and generate those kinds of, of hooks. Um, and two for us, really important is, is the idea of creating 
a psychologically safe space. And I know, Nicole and York, you're going to be also kind of touching on this when we're talking about purpose at work and we're talking about the new work. What are the new skills and the new things that we want people thinking about, right? Um, Oh, a kickoff by a senior leader typically is how we'll start our, our journeys. Um, if we got, if we can do maybe a quick video, even a video that's shot on their mobile device doesn't have to be highly produced. Um, but it also really sets the stage for why are we making this investment as in you as people? What are the things that you're going to be able to do differently? And why, why are we doing this right now? Um, and so, so anyhow, the other, the other item I want to talk with you about, about that previous journey is these reinforcement sessions that allow us to go further. We build and extend on the formal moments. We're not, again, we're not pushing out more content. We're bringing them together with a leadership expert. Of course, at Blanchard, we're a leadership development company. But, but think about in the work that you're doing and in the world of, of development that you live in, you know, bringing in an expert early and along the way to be able to talk about how are things going? What are you applying? What are the tools you're using and how are they working? Um, and so really, again, pulsing those, keeping those moments in between with some application and reflection focus is very, very powerful. Kind of responding to the chat pane, you know, that executive sponsorship at Blanchard, we talk about, and, and we've got a, a white paper that's coming out soon about the, um, the five critical success factors um, that really kind of wrap around any type of development work that you're doing. And Karsten, I don't think it's ready today. It's, it's very, very close. I will get it to you as soon as we are, as it's gone through our final production, and we can share it with folks here. But really thinking about how do we set up a development initiative for success, and it walks through those five factors, one of which is, is designing elegant um, and purposeful learning experiences, which is what we're talking about here. Um, so the second journey that we'll look at, um, this is the ABC company, another generic company name. And so this is um, an organization where they need to bring in their mid-level leaders um, to, to get development. This company historically has had development efforts. Nothing seems to stick. They change vendors very often. And I don't like to use the word vendor. I like to use the word partner because that's truly what we're doing. We're talking about unleashing the, the potential of, of your people. And that is a partnership deal. Um, but for this journey, and this journey is actually a journey that we launched about two months ago. So it's about halfway through. A couple of things. There's a kickoff, setting the stage. So whenever we're talking about doing some type of a journey experience, it's really important for us to set the context for learners and have them think about what is their personal learning purpose? That's step one, creating individual relevance. Um, but really setting the stage. These aren't going to be a series of courses that are disconnected and that you'll take and maybe not apply. There are opportunities here and expectations throughout where you're going to be coming together and, and really scaffolding skills. And you're going to be having conversations that are really quite raw and really quite real. Um, and you're going to get to know the people who are in the room with you. Um, and we're going to be talking about what the, what the work world looks like for you, human beings, as you, as you develop the skills to become extraordinary leaders. And so again, orienting kind of our large learning, formal learning mo moments. 
we got our little legend down here. So you can see the types of, of things that are happening. VILT, some face-to-face. Believe it or not, it's starting to come back in little, little bits in different parts of the US, which is such a wonderful thing. But for this journey, we can see we start with a two-day live event, but we have these micro-learning and reinforcement sessions that or pieces of content, not dissimilar to what we saw earlier, but we look at kind of the micro-learning and reinforcement in a few ways. You know, there's curated content and thought leadership that's kind of out that our authors might put out for public consumption. It's no cost. Um, And there's a library of that. But then some of our clients are looking for kind of a deeper touch, looking for more licensed content that provides um, additional, additional support. And so what does that look like in the world outside of Blanchard? You know, really, a client might, for instance, in this example, their two-day live is building trust, coaching essentials, and conversational capacity. A program on building trust, how to have um, great coaching conversations, and how to have difficult conversations but they're not the full program. So we've got other content that we, that we have along the side that we're able to serve up in a much more nimble nugget kind of fashion for them. And so we also see, as we kind of scoot through, um, a variety of different modalities. So we've got two days of live. We've got our micro-learns. We've got um, some, some digital learning plus an application session. Again, application session layers on top of a digital learning piece because it allows learners to go through, and then they're going to come in and they're going to make it really real. They're going to bounce what they have learned in their courses off of how they see the world as humans, as leaders in their organization. And then we've added in group coaching sessions. And these group coaching sessions, again, not unlike the learning reinforcement sessions we saw in the previous journey, but these sessions really allow us to to make things real to hold them accountable for applying what they've learned in those moments in between. Um, So let's go ahead and and kind of move along. I just wanted to share a couple different journeys so you can see, you know, we're adding in these really powerful opportunities to apply, to reflect, to refine, to really connect emotionally with the learning, um, to really identify my own personal purpose in going through this and how are we building better leaders for our clients, but truly people who are more equipped to and and have greater skill and greater refinement of the tools that we use in our everyday lives outside of work. And that's truly where our secret sauce is. I wanted to show you one last journey um, before we go through. And um, basically, this is a journey that was created for another client. And I I don't want you to worry about the content that's on the screen. I'm going to talk through it lightly. This is an experience that's digital-driven, a lot of self-directed content. We've got three modules along the side. It looks different from the other journeys, and you'll see in a moment why. So they start with a kickoff, not unlike the other journeys, setting context, creating relevance, identifying my personal learning purpose. And then we go into our first module, building trust, but I want to show you the design here. This is a three-week design per module. Week one is a learn week, self-directed. Could we certainly incorporate a live session here? Sure. But we saved our live session for the week three of each topic area. So week one is self-directed learning. So everyone, as they have 
15 or 20 minutes, they can pop in, pop out, get back to work. If I've got people on the manufacturing floor, people who are working from their home office, they can be a part of that same experience. Then when we look at week two, apply, this is when they're actually going in and we've created a package of those triads that layer on top of what they learned, that give them opportunities to try the skills and practice the skills in the flow of their work. And then that week three, this reflect and share is when they come together and they actually talk about what they've learned over the past two weeks, what are the frameworks, what does it look like in practice, and what is the broader application of what you've learned and what you've tried. And so this kind of a construct and what we're seeing, this was built in Blanchard's proprietary learning content management system called Blanchard Exchange. And so could this be created in in any other client LMS? Absolutely. It's just thinking about our content in a little bit of a different way and really starting to pull apart because at Blanchard, before COVID happened, Blanchard was 90% plus 90% face-to-face. And so you can probably imagine when the world changed and things came to a screeching halt for our organization, we knew we needed to think differently. And so what we did was we took all of our programs that we had in face-to-face and in virtual instructor-led, and many of them had a digital expression, a short-form course, or a long-form course, pulled all of the pieces apart into building blocks, and we're now able to tell a new story with those smaller nuggets and those discrete pieces of learning that are formed and structured in a new way. And so for this kind of a learning construct, Week one, learn. Week two, apply. Week three, reflect and share. You can see this playlist item. We've added playlists to each of these different modules. So if people want to go in and learn more, they can, but it's not required. It keeps the learning kind of um, in a in kind of a container because it's a real challenge for us to make broad amounts of learning available to lots and lots of people. So it helps them to kind of fish and go back. And if they need something in the moment, they can go find it easily. And then this, this journey ended with group coaching sessions. So you've had your content modules, and now how do you carry that forward? And so let's see. So I think that brings me almost to the end. And I actually wanted to share, um, you know, kind of the what's next. This is an important piece. The what's next at the end This is something that should be part of all organizations, in my opinion. Hashtag the world according to Ann Rollins. This is something that could be included at the end of every learning experience where everyone comes back together and we've got our either our executive sponsor or our stakeholders or the leaders of participants. And our participants basically go through and they make commitments. What have I learned? What are the keys that I've learned? How am I going to put those into practice? and create a video and share it with their people, share it with the organization. So it helps to to create rigor and accountability. And what I see is my my values-driven approach to my work, my learning purpose, and my purpose in applying this comes loud and clear. And so a reflect and share session. So we saw in that journey, reflect and share sessions, they're a bit different, right? It's a leadership expert later in the process cohort comes together to talk about what they've learned, how they're applying it, what it looks like, and to drive leaders to create their plans on what's going to be next. So when they get to that what's next session, they've already done the thinking about that. 
So that brings me to the end of our time, Karsten. Um, you know, I know we talked about 25 minutes and I think I'm right at about 24, um, but I, I'd welcome everyone connect with me on socials. I'm, I'm active in industry. I'll be at learning solutions. I'll be at ATD ice. If, if you're going to be at either of those events, you know, hit me on the conference app. I'd love to meet you for a cup of coffee. Um, Carson, I'll so turn much, it back Anne. to you. Yes, thank, thank you very you. much. I love your energy and the love, I love the spirit with which you present. But in the interest of time, let's go right into our next um, part of this conference. And this is a case um, discussion. And I have three very esteemed guests with me today. Uh, one is Nicole Hefner from SAP. Um, then we have Jörg Blunder, who is um, who used to be with uh, Coca-Cola European Partners and is now in the consulting world. And we have Daniel Bonnier, who used to be with SAP and is now enjoying the time in between uh, assignments. And I thought it's a good idea to invite people who are not necessarily working for the particular company anymore to maybe get some inside scoop, right? So that will be the obviously the interesting thing for this uh, next part of the session. So how does learning look like? How does transformation look like? in the future and here we have three concrete cases how they've been applied and let's see what we can make out of this and then there will be deep dive sessions afterwards for each of your cases so each of you will be kind of so kind to kind of offer a deep dive session where people can join and then we go a little deeper and also have some reflection question to work around so with this let me share um my slides okay good so, um, maybe let's start with Nicole. So, Nicole, um, what is it that you currently um, work on? It has to do with the, with the learning journey in the context of new work. Can you fill us in a little bit? Sure. So, what we are doing, we have a new work movement within SAP. It means there are some organizations and a lot of people that are interested in the topic of new work. I think it was created five years before already. And since three years, we are deeply working with that people and organizations that are interested out of that. We have some organizations moving in that direction as a whole team or as a whole organization. And we, so some colleagues of myself, Leonard Kyle, myself and Andreas Moore, we really helped and consulted the different organization. And then there is a second part, that's the new work movement that are individuals really interested in the topic, in that um, space of that new work movement that in individuals, we really have um, around 200 people already. And the challenge we had is that it's nice for organization to move in that direction. However, I'm as an individual also have the interest to learn more about new work. And I also would like to see, can I adapt something? Can I change something? Can I be the start, even if my team might not be too interested into moving in that area? Mm -hmm. So it's really about an individual learning and really about um, scaling more or less the new work best practices, what we learned. Also, um, one challenge was to really get the people from consuming to getting active means really take the best practices and start in their team to experiment because it's not really scalable to have only some people in a central department doing that. So we need more people outside that are really trying to experiment here. 
you see on the right side our approach. So what we created, and that is also something that is unusual. We had one organization that were that moved that journey and said we need that individual learning, and they produced a bunch of content. And then they moved it over to the movement and said, okay, here is the content. The community helped us. What can we do with that? And out of that, we created that new work learning journey. And what we have done a seven weeks session each week, they had three hours in between. They had a lot of experiments that people need, need to do. And we really focused on less content and more experimentation and reflection time. Because new work needs inner work. It needs really the situation that you need to reflect on yourself. When you look to the content, we created that six episodes. And um, the last episode was an open self-organized episode where we asked the people, what do we need? What else do you need to feel ready to experiment and um, move with teams and yourself into that space? Themes you can see here is values or uh, psych safety, um, dealing with tension, things like um, push versus pull information, radical transparency, um, how do you uh, take decisions, really a lot of different items. What I found is really interesting is how active people were. So obstacles we had was really time investment, how much time will they invest? It's something where people didn't have to pay something. Will they stay in the journey or will they jump out if it's not interesting? We also try to um, really reflect means when we talk about values in the first session, we really let them work on their own values and then let them transfer their own values into principles. So really be practical and try to get that active reflecting part. So trust building was elementary in the beginning. We also have seen that in the presentation in the beginning, trust building, having that, that um, safe environment. And also um, another obstacle, um, the practitioners often feel um, some kind of tension. They think they are not the experts. They don't have all the answers and then they hide back and not getting active. So it was really some work to get them active and also to give them experiments they can do on their own or also with, with a peer or with a team. Last but not least, the learnings from our side. I think we could find a good balance between knowledge transfer and also the time to reflect. I was really surprised also how active they were and open. So in the first session, I thought it would be nice if three people can really um, share their values, all shared their values, all people in the room. And we had out of 30 participants, we had 24 minimum in each meeting. And I did never expected that each person who didn't show up really said why they didn't have time, why they cannot join, what's important there. So um, that is something I don't... I don't, um, we normally don't have in, within SAP. You have a lot of people that would like to participate and half of the people don't show up. That was totally different. So people were really engaged and they really get the understanding that there is more behind than just doing a transformation and move into the new work area. So participation rate was really high and the participants were really open. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you so much. Um, so this was also a learning journey, so also a parallel to what Anne was describing, also tailored around that needs more experience than content. 
Um, do, did you also have blended elements where you said this is some pre-reads that you do before and yes. stuff that you do after? So yes. same thing, just not same thing, yet. same thing. So we had a lot of blended elements. Means we we gave them videos to watch and also something to read. They had after each session um, experiments they could do. So there were experiments for themselves, experiments they can do with a peer from the group, and also experiments if they are bold, really do with their teams. And um, in the beginning of each episode, we uh, had some time to really reflect on that experiments and what they learned. And that also showed them some pressure so that you really have time also and see that other people are also jumping into that. And normally you have some front runners and people that said, okay, I also tried something out. And I was sometimes really surprised how much they tried out in one week. Excellent. Thank you, Nicole. So if you want to learn more about this case, watch out for the breakout room number one. And the facilitator or the, the host from our side will be Rainer Höll. And Rainer Höll happens to be the former managing director of Ashoka. And they also went through a transformation in terms of new work, in terms of self-organization. So he's not only the host, but he's also an expert in the field. Rainer, maybe you can say hello real quick. Sorry. Hi, everyone. Hi. We'll be very happy to see you in the workshop. Thanks, Rainer. Okay, so moving on to the next case, Jörg. Welcome, Jörg. Welcome to, to Austria. Jörg is always in the in the fun places where there's snow <laughs> and where you can ski. Uh, maybe that's because you enjoy life. Um, so Jörg um, used to be with Coca-Cola, with the Coca-Cola universe, let's say. And there's one particular case that he brought to us. And this is a case where three major countries of the Coca-Cola universe merged um, mature markets. And the idea was, or the, the challenge was, how do you actually make sure that you can integrate a culture that is similar on the one hand side, but also individually adapted to the local needs? Um, Jörg, do you want to walk us through what was the, cha the challenge um, of okay. that journey? Thanks, Karsten. I think I'm maybe a good role model for what a new work means. You can work wherever you are as long as the internet is working. So starting from this one, thanks for having me here. Just a small correction. It's not about three countries which we brought together, but we brought 13 countries within the within Western Europe um, in a merger, which started in 2016 into one bottling system. So bottling systems are these parts of the Coca-Cola world who sell, produce, distribute, invoice, and administer or the, 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 the Coca-Cola business. So it's big, it's very many people, 23,500 people. And when you think about Western Europe uh, with Spain, Iberia, which was family owned, Central Europe, in my case, in the center of Western Europe, let's, let's, let's position it properly like this, where was England um, and the Netherlands and, and Belgium, France, and some parts of Norway and Sweden, uh, which was publicly listed. And there was Germany, which had one shareholder, which was the Coca-Cola company. And the journey I'm going to share with you now is how we brought these three bottling systems, independent bottling systems in Western Europe together under one umbrella. And I would like to take this as an opportunity to introduce you to one concept, which we used very strongly. And the concept is so simple that you maybe heard about it. So don't blame me, but it worked for us. And the concept is around the little voices. I don't see all of you, but most probably some of you have heard about the concept of the little voices. If you didn't hear about it, and if you're wondering now what's the 
the guy talking about, that's the little voice which is talking to you. So if you have some little voice during the session I'm going to have with you now, just put it in the chatter and I'm definitely going to repeat to you afterwards if we find the time and if not in the sessions which we have uh, later. Think about Western Europe. Western Europe Coca-Cola business was growing, but in a very, very little numbers. And the expectation of the merger is always that you do something different and better. The category was under pressure. So when you think about your children or friends of your children or yourself, you are changing your, your preferences. You don't want to have fizzy drinks so much as you wanted to have them maybe 10, 15 years ago. So also categories under pressure. Coca-Cola, there were a lot, lot of little voices out there saying you do a lot of good things because you have your own Christmas. You have Santa Claus is, is, is Christmas. And then you have another thing, which is Olympics. But on the other side, it's a lot, a lot about sugar. It's a lot about nature. So a lot of criticism and feedback, which we have to take really, really serious from a Coke business. And all these little voices have been in the heads of our people. People had the perception from the obstacles where we don't have to do this kind of change. We don't have to go on this journey. Or if we do it, then it just proves to the others, yep, let's, let's, let's play fair, but at the end, don't change anything. Some people expected us to say and said, okay, how long will this project take? Culture is not a project. Culture is a journey. And you don't develop a new culture. You always evolve on something which is existing with some revolutionary elements. And if you find them, you have to be really tough and execute them in the right way. Post-merger perceived some of the, of the countries that they lost influence. A lot of different languages didn't make it easier. So you couldn't say just do everything in English. Uh, but it, at the end, was also an opportunity for us because with this, and I'm going to talk in a second when we talk about the approach, we realized that the local relevance, and I think Anne touched it before, the local relevance and the message of the local leaders is even more important at this time. So what did we do? 2016, we brought together 120 or 130 leaders, did a lot of surveys before to frontliners, to customers, to, st to stakeholders. And the only thing which we asked them in a two-day working session is, what is it we are standing for as Coca-Cola European partners? They heard about strategy, so we ended up with three ideas for a purpose statement, number one. And number two, we asked them, if we are working together, there have been the first time that the people met physically. When, when we think about, we have to work successfully together. What ways of working do we need? And if you listen carefully, I'm not talking about behaviors. I'm not talking about anything which is traditional HR language, because we try to keep it light that people understand it and that we could from the beginning on say, this is not a pure HR initiative. This is a business initiative. So we ended up with five or six ways of working. And then we said, okay, what are we going to do? Traditionally, we would have invested a lot of money into marketing and saying, bring these famous coffee jugs out to the market where everybody sees the value of the months. We said, don't do this. Let's invest time to get people together. And we started from the top, but always mixing different hierarchy levels already from the beginning on um, very carefully to, uh, bringing people together. And we engaged them through a working session, which we called Accelerate Performance, to A, understand the strategy, to B, and I think, Nicole, you have been referring to it, to think about what does the way of working mean for me? 
And what is my way of working? What are my values? How do they match with each other? Because if they are conflicting, we are not going to go anywhere. So this was the second thing. And the third thing we asked them, if you think it's end of, this was 2016, 2017, if it's end of 2018 or 19, what did you achieve to make the strategy and the culture happen in your area of responsibility? So this was the first year which we did in 2017. And then the magical moment happened. Then we asked from these 500 leaders who, who went through the sessions in the first instance, who got big exposure to the executive leadership board. We asked them, would you like to volunteer? And who would like to volunteer to become a champion to cascade it down in the local markets? And remember, 13 countries, 23,500 people. We have been two people overall managing and orchestrating this journey. So a colleague of mine and myself. And then suddenly I was expecting maybe five or 10 people will raise their hand. 140 people said, I would like to be part of this one. So then we went to the next level, brought all leaders up to speed and then all employees up to speed. And this became a circle. So I think this was important for us to depend and trust the local messages, but in a given framework. Second one. And the third one is at the very, very beginning, we said, okay, if we take it serious, the ways of working, let's measure them. Let's really put the needle in the, in, in the ground and saying, this is where we are starting from. The good, the bad, and the ugly. And this helped us then not to go on a net promoter score and saying, this is what we like, this is what we don't like, but really understand what's the motivation. So just coming back to what are the learnings? And communicate, 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 communicate. This was the approach which we did. The learnings for us is culture is not a journey. It's definitely, uh, culture is a journey. It's definitely not a pure project where you say beginning and end. Ensure full commitment of leadership team for the journey. And I'm going to ask you later, what's your experience on this one? Because not everybody will be privileged as I have been, that the CEO said, take it serious and the defined the position for myself. And when I met him the first time and asked him, what shall I take care? He said, don't screw it up. Don't try to do something which means like one culture fits all. Culture is business. I think this is relevant. Think about how you're going to measure it also from a business cycle perspective. Focus on the similarities that I talked about. Don't let it, it's so tempting to think about the differences. Think about what is the combination between the Spanish field sales executive and the German field sales executive. It's the brand, it's the passion for the brand, and so on and so on. I think there's a lot of things. Help people to dream. I think dreaming in management business, it's often neglected or even banned. Help them to think loud and to dream what it might look like in 2022, what we are achieving, or in 2025, what we have achieved. Be attentive for the small hacks, I think, for the moment of truth and make it light touch. Don't overcomplicate it with management literature, but make it light touch that everybody sees a relevance which they can also apply for private life, but also for business and for culture. So that has been a little bit of a challenge, 10 minutes for three years or three years within 10 minutes. But you did well. You did well, Jörg. Thank you so much. I love that energy and the passion that you always bring when you talk, tell about the stories, that was a humongous project and Coca-Cola really has a strong culture to start with and to kind of work with that uh, strong culture, I think is quite a challenge. So if you want to deep di uh, uh, dive deeper into this particular case with York, please remember room two and your host 
will be Paramita. Paramita, can you say hello? You're on mute. Yes, hi there. I was trying to be very politely mute. Yep, I'll be hosting Jörg with great pleasure. Excellent. So room two, Paramita, Jörg, just memorize that if you want to learn more about that. Thank you, Jörg, for walking us through, taking us uh, with you on the journey. And um, with this, we come to our third case, and this is Daniel Vonier. Um, so, Daniel, the challenge was to have an organization that has grown over many, many years, over many decades, very successfully, and then help the organization to somehow unlearn hierarchy and learn something else instead. So why unlearn and what to learn instead? Over to you. Super. Thanks, Carson. So, um, yeah, this might be probably a little bit of a you know, hoovering up to, to a higher level um, with the risk of um, keeping it quite universal sometimes, but it's good that we have the, the case uh, time later on um, and we can go deeper and even go into more, um, let's say, pragmatic and, and very practical insights that, that we have gained. But let me try it, uh, to, to, to start that way. So um, SAP, well, like many, many other big organizations, I have worked for um, Siemens and Deutsche Telekom before um, in terms of, um, well, uh, size of employees. Uh, SAP was even the smallest one with 100,000 people. Um, small is, of course, relative, right? So um, the big, big um, overall challenge is, and, and I think um, this is a group here that I don't, don't have to convince on this one, but is um, that the... Um, the environment has changed massively over the last 20 years, right? I mean, I don't have to talk too much about technology. I don't have to talk too much about soci sociological changes. Um, and COVID is just one, let's say, probably um, um, even accelerator in, in that whole game. Um, but there have been huge changes out there. If we look at um, the images and the fundamental mental models that we have from um, the way we look at leadership, the way we look at organizations, the way we look at people and employees in that organization is pretty much the same, right? I'm not saying, well, 100%, but the, um, the, 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 the change magnitude on the way we, we look at those dimensions is not as huge as the change that we have seen out there. And so my personal passion is um, really to cultivate and, and to reshape leadership organizations and work so that it becomes future fit. Um, and this is the, the, the single purpose. And um, the term unlearning hierarchy was basically created more or less um, um, as, a, as a fun term, if you will, as a provocative fun term, because we said, well, we could, of course, um, think about organizational development in the sense of um, traditional ways. We are an OD consulting team at SAP. Um, we going to go with the mandate from the board to different uh, business units, and then we're going to help them um, in, in, in many aspects of organizational development. As we have um, had personal limitations in, in, the, um, in the aspect of how many people we were, and uh, we're not, let's say, a full clear mandate from the board, we said, let's, let's turn this thing around. Let's do the following. Let's create our, let, let's, let's call our initiative and our little practice, um, let's call it unlearning hierarchy. Um, and once we have defined that unlearning hierarchy and uh, when people, when business people come to us and say, well, um, do you guys actually offer um, well, learning and development beyond um, the individual, um, but for teams and for organizations? 
um, we say, yes, we do this under the headline of unlearning hierarchy. And um, by this little, let's say, trick, if you will, um, we could enter in a, in a very good conversation with the people. Because what we have done from the very beginning is um, oftentimes the leader came to us and, and, and asked for that support. Um, and as I guess many of you know that from, from personal uh, and, and uh, practical experience, um, if OD projects and, um, and cultural change projects are done, then at its best, the leader says, well, you are allowed to do this with the team. But very rarely only do they put personal skin in the game, as, as we say, right? Um, and um, one of our prerequisites um, of, of working with us and, and getting our coaching, our support, our consulting, our company um, was to say that the leaders need to put the skin in the game themselves. So they, they don't need to, you know, allow us to do so and allow their team to work with that, but really um, be co-creative, be part of the team, uh, but be one, one element in that whole journey. So when, um, when we started that journey within SAP, um, we didn't want to do the, 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 the boil the ocean approach. First, as I said, we had a limitation in terms of, of our size. Second, uh, we don't believe in those massive programs. We all have seen a lot of these um, top-down uh, mandated cultural programs, uh, nicely defined new values, um, and then, you know, huge communication cascades and then another cascade. And then with a spray and pray approach, everybody was hoping that things changed. And we all know they don't, or they just do it very rarely and 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 only in in very um, small terms so we said let's work with the coalition of the willing if if if, if you want to use this term in that context um and we you know had um, the organization come to us and describe their problem and usually what a consultant does is they right away jump into the solution mode what we did however is we said um, let's compartmentalize that program, the, the problem. Let's let's dwell not only with the leader but with the team on the problem side and understand if what they come to us with, e.g., we want to become more agile, has really a purpose behind, or it's just you know a nice terminology because you know somebody said it's better if you guys become more agile. And so we spent a lot of time in the very initial phase to understand together with the teams um, what their real problem was. And so we used unlearning hierarchy as a starting point um, because of a few elements. So element one is um, we said that if we want to change organizations of any size, of any nature, um, and in any dimension, we need to look at leadership. And when we talked about leadership and hierarchies, we talk about um, decision-making. We talk about power, although especially in, in the German environment, power is a word and a notion that is not frequently used because it has some, you know, traditional culturally um, bad connotations. So it's better to talk about leadership. But what do we actually mean with this, right? So this was number one. So saying if you talk about a, a, a change in, in your organization, we have to talk about the distribution of leadership, the distribution of decision-making, and we need to become more clear of who takes which decisions. And if we become want to become more agile or if we you know, want to self-empower our teams more, what's that has been often used and often put on the headlines of those transformations, then the leader, him or herself, needs to think about which elements of his power does she or he need to be able and willing to transfer to the team. That's the one side. The other side was the team oftentimes was, um, you know, very much used to um, also projecting the negative um, um, developments and the negative results 
to the leader at the top of the organization, right? So they used him or her as a scapegoat. Um, scapegoat. And, and oftentimes this was like, you know, a quite comfortable way to do so. So meaning if um, there was a process in place and it was um, decided that we're going to distribute power in a better way, then um, there needs to be someone and ideally um, more than one person to take this power and be it only temporarily and be it in a shared mode and be it based on, um, let's say, his or her competencies. So these were two movements um, that when we projected that and, and, and talked about that, that concept um, very illustratively, then a lot of dynamics already came into those organizations. What we also did then, um, and this is where we jumped sometimes between, you know, our roles on this very small project to our roles as a, let's say, more corporate um, um, learning and development organizations, was thinking about what of the structural elements of the institutional frame um, that sometimes limits us and drives very, very strongly our behavior, as we all know, which of them can we use as an organization in um, a very um, advant advantageous way, in a very beneficial way to us in order to achieve, for example, um, progress on our journey towards more self-organization. Um, Why? Because a very, very simple excuse from, from many leaders is, well, you know, this is the system. Well, you know, these are the top-down pro uh, top processes and systems and regulations that we have. And sometimes this is true, right? I mean, we all work in the confines of a, of a corporation and we can't just reinvent budgeting um, for our own uh, small organization, but we need to stick to certain um, rules. However, there's oftentimes way more leeway than we actually uh, admit to ourselves and we actually are you know, creative and inventive enough to, to look at. So this was the second thing. And then the third thing was really um, thinking about what image of the picture, which mention build, as, as we said. So what, what perspective, what beliefs do we have vis-a-vis um, -vis the people that work in our team? And although not always explicitly, but very frequently implicitly, we still think of our people as resources, right? As people that you can shift from A to B, that you can, you know, just motivate in one or the other way, where you can, you know, work with a stick and carrot approach and then get the results out of that. And, you know, when surfacing um, um, all these things in dynamic team processes and dynamic organizational processes, you can bring these things to the top, you can bring them to the surface and you can start discussing about them. And, um, we worked on many, many more um, things, but this was oftentimes a very good starting point. Um, and this is also a reason why we stuck, uh, stuck to the topic of, of unlearning hierarchy, which today is not only an initiative, um, but it also has become like a personal pet project of, of myself and, and Leonard Kyle. And, um, you know, Nicole was also part of that, um, of that journey back then. And Leonard and I will publish a book with the title of Unlearning Hierarchy. Um, an expedition towards more self-organization, which will be released in German only in March, um, and then hopefully very, very soon um, in, uh, in, in English also. And um, if you guys want to learn more about, um, you know, the, the bigger ideas of that book, but also more the practical insights that we as a team personally, but also we as organizational development experts um, have made on that journey, um, we can see each other in the deep dive in a few seconds. Thanks. Excellent. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you so much. So these are the three cases. If you're interested to learn more about unlearning hierarchy, room three is your room and I'll be uh, your host. So this is it. So what are you taking away? 
I'm uh, curious for your thoughts. I'm curious how um, you can apply these impulses in your own organization. I'm curious um, where do you stand with your own organization when it comes to um, organizational learning and transformation. So please drop us a line at carson.dreth at leadership-choices.com. And also please don't forget to um, give us feedback and to rate us on the different platforms where you're listening uh, to this podcast. That will be very, very, very much appreciated. If you want to um, join one of our future conferences, also drop me a line and we make sure that you get on the invitation list because all of our, of our events are invitation only and free of charge. So stay healthy, all the best to you. And um, yeah, talk to you soon. Bye. This was an episode of Leaders Talk, the interview podcast portraying leaders who are committed to better leadership, better organizations, and a better world. Powered by Leadership Choices.